Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Married People Podcast, where we want to make marriage real, fun, and simple. This week, we're talking about the question, how can I deal with sexual baggage in my marriage? And this week, we have a great interview with Ted Lowe and Mo Isom Aiken. Now, Mo is a New York Times bestselling author and a nationally sought-after speaker. Her newest book, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot, is about the role the church can play in the conversation about sex and sexuality. So Mo lives in Atlanta with her husband, Jeremiah, and their two daughters, Auden and Asher. So this is a great interview, and we can't wait for you to hear it. So let's dive in. Hey, you guys, I am so excited to be here today with uh, Mo. Mo, how are you, friend? I'm great. Are, are you good? Good, yes. I'm happy to be here, too. For those of you who don't know, Mo, Mo is a New York Times bestselling author and nationally sought-after speaker. This is the part I love, Mo, as somebody that grew up uh, in the South. Uh, when you the, In college, you were an All-American goalkeeper for LSU's women's soccer team in the first... Go Tigers. Me- Go Tigers. Yeah. Uh, especially the <laughs> Auburn ones. Just kidding. Uh, and the first... Fee- Uh-oh. I just, and I've got our Georgia fan producer is not loving that. Uh, And the first female to try out for the SEC men's football team. Now, this has nothing to do about marriage, but can you tell me just a little bit about that? Because Yes. Oh, the glory days. Um, So yeah, I played soccer at LSU for four years and realized going into my senior year, SEC athletes, well, any NCAA athlete gets five years of eligibility, but only four in one sport. So it takes into account if you get injured, if you have to redshirt, you know, you can make up your four seasons. Well, I was going to finish soccer, you know, four years without any interruptions. And I was like, how can I avoid the real world? What can I do to stay in college? Uh, no, but I would always kick around and mess around with the guys in the indoor football facility and just clicked one day, like I can kick the, kick the pigskin off of football. And so, um, awesome. what if I tried this? And yeah, I trained with the team for 22 months for my, through my whole senior soccer season. I was sort of two a dang and jumping in with the football team and lifting weights with them and doing all the agility with them and kicking with the guys. And uh, when I finally, though, when August rolled around and I was able to finally try out for this sort of one season of eligibility left, the roster had shifted from like a need for specialists. I think we had two guys. And then 22 months later, there were eight specialists because of walk-ons and transfers and all this. So I could hit a 53-yard field goal, but unfortunately got a no at the end because the roster, there's there's a set number and it was tight and... 53 yards. Right? Uh, Ladies, love your thunder thighs. They can do amazing things. (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. Well, uh, both my boys um, played football, and both their uh, kickers were were female. And one team, they had two. So, I mean, oh, they cheered them all, baby. So, that's, in fact, I told my daughter that you're here. I said, you might want to like brush your hair because you got to get your picture made with Mo. And she goes, okay, I'll do it. Uh oh, I didn't brush my hair this morning. It's in a hat. (laughs) I should say, put her on, I put on a baseball cap and you'll look just like that. Yeah. Hey, Mo, uh, the reason now that we've got to talk about what I wanted to selfishly uh, there, I want to talk about all this, of course, is it, um, but your newest book, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot to Ask. So we want to talk about today, what is the role the church can play in the conversation about sex? But before we get there, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. 
Oh, that's my greatest blessing. That's the best part of myself um, is my husband, uh, Jeremiah. He's just smoking hot. He's like six <laughs> foot five. He's just a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> no, he's such a good man. He is gentle and he's kind and he's slow to anger and he just leads our family so, so well um, and leads me a very excitable and passionate and boisterous wife really well. He's just a, a total blessing. Uh, and then my children, I said my husband was six foot five. I'm six foot one. And so my kids are two and a half and 10 months old and just full toddler size. I mean, my two and a half year old is three and a half feet tall. She's going to be like six, eight. I mean, it's just startling. My 10 month old is like in 18 month clothes and um, we're just big people, but they're such a blessing. Auden, my oldest is like spunky, like her mommy and um, just full of sass. And we're learning how to parent <laughs> that. <laughs> and the youngest is just the sweetest. She's just her dad made over. So we have a fun household. We love it. So are you guys looking, wow, we have athletes. I, as an athlete, you're going, Ooh, already you're just like, Oh, you do whatever you do you, but there's got- yeah, I want to be that one. That's like, whatever my kids are passionate about, but also I'm like, baby, there's really not a choice. You're going to be six, <laughs> nine. So we're going to get you in a volleyball like court or something. But, um, I need them to start showing some signs of, of coordination. That would be a great uh, <laughs> affirmation for me as a mother, because knowing my luck, I'll have like a six foot eight, like violinist. And I'm just like, <laughs> I need them to show some coordination and then we'll, we'll figure out what sport that is. It's coming. It's coming. It's I can got feel to. It. It's, it's got to be in the We're genes, raising right? Olympians. We've just got to. It's We're raising <laughs> Olympians. I love it. So let's dive in. Talk to me uh, about your book and why you gave it that title, because, you know, as we try to help married couples, you know, I think sometimes we are so drawn to something that's unique and mm-hmm. so provocative. So talk, give us again, give us the title and talk about how you chose that title. Yeah, it really just came to me in 2015. Um, the title is Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. And I remember in 2015, my husband and I had just married and, and we're just walking into this season of, of sex within marriage and in the confines of a covenant and, and really what... Um, what God had to say about it kind of unfolding, yet I was struggling with so much from my past, so much that no one had ever really talked to me about that I hadn't learned. It was kind of, we were, felt like it was like touch and go, just trying to kind of figure it out. And I realized no one had really cultivated healthy conversations with me about sex. Mm. Like, and the culture, the world had so stolen and twisted and cheapened and perverted it. And I, for so long, had struggled so much with promiscuity, with struggles with pornography, with just feeding my flesh, really, you know, and just coming out of a lack of understanding, coming to know Jesus, and then marrying and sex being permissible and okay. And it was like, I was just a cluster. I was so confused. And I remember reading this article just right after we had married that went super viral. And this girl said, you know, I had waited to have sex until my wedding night and I completely regretted my decision. And I read it and it just broke my heart Mm. because even though I was confused, I still could appreciate the glory and the beauty of this gift within marriage, even though we were like trying so hard to figure it out. And I saw and read this article and saw this person clearly is just as confused and hurt as I am. Mm. And I just, it broke my heart that it was going viral that they were saying, it's all a wash. It wasn't worth it. You know, Mm. we can't figure it out. It's not playing out like we thought it would. And I regret it completely. And 
So was what was like, the regret for, for her? She said, I, I regretted that because... I think if I remember the article correctly, she was talking about it just didn't measure up to what she expected it to be. Mm. She'd sort of had been sold this, you know, if you wait till you're married, sex will blow your mind and mm. yada, yada, yada. And she and her husband just weren't in sync and it wasn't this like life-changing, life-completing, mind-blowing thing that had mm. kind of been chalked up to be. And so I just read that and I knew in my spirit there had to be a response that that even at the most basic level, even though I was figuring a lot out, I knew sex was a gift from God and that there was purpose behind it. And I needed to go investigate and figure out what that was. I mm. needed to find healing and wholeness in my own heart, in my own life, and mm. in my marriage. And then I wanted to speak into it because I felt like there was just a commissioning, like somebody had to reclaim sex for the glory of God and somebody mm. had to be sparking these conversations. And um, so I was like, oh, darn, I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> At first I was so mm. like, oh, but I, I, it just one day in the kitchen, it just like like downloaded into me the title, everything I wanted to speak into, mm. all of my own brokenness and baggage that I needed to share. And I couldn't like write it on a scrap sheet fast enough. And that was 2015. And and here in 2018, I never would have imagined like what a felt need when it released that it would hit. And how many people, single dating, engaged, married, across the board, have so many unanswered questions and mm. so many things that they're just kind of touch and go figuring out and struggling with. And I think what it all boiled down to is that if we want to see a shift in our culture, if we want to see a shift in our marriages and our families, we've got to find healing mm. and wholeness in our hearts first. Cause mm. like the vast majority of us are carrying some degree of brokenness of sexual struggle or confusion or brokenness. So uh, I wanted this book to be kind of a conversation catalyst and just, mm address really important things and get people talking and get things stirred up and it it's done that well so it's been a real blessing to see i love that so let's let's back up a little bit because you know like you said we all bring baggage into marriage so mm -hmm. most of the people probably 95 percent of the people that listen to our podcast are already married yeah uh, but i think it's important for us to rewind a little bit and say hey when we both said i do we had a certain level of baggage when it comes to sex and sexuality you've been very transparent about mm -hmm. your past so talk a little bit about um, what baggage you would say that you brought into marriage yeah you know it's funny we kind of live in this culture this time right now that um what the church is kind of preaching or what we're struggling with in singleness is deny, deny, deny yourself. Sex is bad. Avoid it, avoid it. And then we're supposed to stand at the altar and just switch a flip, like flip a switch mm. and sex is great and amazing and enjoy it and totally permissible. And mm. it, um, it just is confusing if we don't really understand the root of what sex is, of, of why it matters. Mm. And if we don't understand sort of how we need to navigate the baggage that we've carried to the altar too, the baggage of our past. And like, for me, I um, was raised in a Christian home and the church had a lot to say of the do's and don'ts, the rights and wrongs, sort of the rule following behavior modification, but I didn't know heart transformation. Mm. And so I pushed the envelope as far as I could, you know, coming up in adolescence and um, ran the bases like as far as I could without running all the way home and rationalized and um, still sort of waved this banner of virginity and really didn't know anything of purity. 
came across some of my dad's pornography at a young age, and that just seared something in me and and developed a decade-long struggle for me that actually many women, many wives, the church is kind of starting to talk to men about it, but a lot of women are really struggling with that. And And by that, you mean pornography, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so struggled with that for like 10 years and then uh, lost my dad really unexpectedly to suicide. And that grief, that loss, I started trying to fill that void in college with physicality and just gave so much of myself away Mm -hmm. to so many people, trying to give pieces of my body to get a man's heart and just tired and just confused and struggling with identity, with worth, with value. But sophomore year of college, I came to know Jesus and it completely transformed my life and my heart. And God immediately began to do kind of this heart work in me about sexuality, about my identity, about sex. And so I was moving and I actually stepped into an intimacy fast, um, that's what I called it. I should like copyright that. I called it kissless till next Christmas. Uh, but I knew I needed like healing. I knew I needed to process. And this was still in singleness. And that went on for two years. And the next man I met was Jeremiah, um, then out of college. And, you know, we sort of moved through our dating relationship and I had this reframed understanding and, you know, new and different convictions, but we still kind of struggled some with physicality. Cause it's just really hard. Like, can we just sit on this podcast and say, it is just hard. It is really hard. But, you know, we came to such a point of conviction and looked at scripture and it gives us two options to flee or to marry, flee sexual immorality or marry rather than burn with lust, marry. And those are two big, hard choices when you're in a relationship and you, you know, love someone and are growing in relationship with them, but it was kind of a non-negotiable. So mm. we, um, we prayed about it separately and God gave us the same word of coming together in marriage. And, you know, it's not the only reason we stood at the altar. We, <laughs> we really loved each other. We knew a lot of foundational things, um, with each other, but we stood at the altar and had been able to stand there with great conviction of why we were marrying, of a a mutual desire to honor God, especially with our sexual decisions and with our purity. But we both had paths too that we, I think sometimes we as people hope we can just kind of brush them under the rug or we can Mm. like forget about them a little bit. And like, yeah, I came to know Jesus back when I was, you know, this age. And so let me just wipe off, forget about that Mm. past. But yet we married and we're now able to delight in this gift and yet still realize, wait, we're like bringing in these suitcases of stuff. Mm. And so right at the start of marriage, we just had this reckoning moment. I called it the honeymoon hardship. Um, I like cried several nights on our honeymoon because all this stuff just comes crashing down. I heard the best quote one time my sister-in-law told me, she said, prior to marriage, the enemy will do everything he can to drive you together. And after marriage, he'll do everything he can to drive you apart. Perfect. And that can start the minute we say, I do. His goal is to divide us and to break us. And we're sitting there on our honeymoon, newlyweds, like crying Mm. because all of this baggage, We just, we just hoisted right into our covenant. Like, mm. and so we really, it was beautiful. I, I talk about it in the book, but how we had to um, just begin to really process through really intentionally seeking forgiveness, asking forgiveness, breaking off, you know, lies that we've believed, breaking off connections that we've had with people and just fighting for our marriage mm. by processing through this past guilt, shame, baggage, mm you know, sexual stuff that we carried in. And it was amazing the freedom that came from that, but it's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> Gosh, <you laughs> to know, get there, it's like a lot. 
Well, and I love what you said. You know, there's in the Christian church, we and we've well-meaning have pushed with with youth um, the virginity. Wait, 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 wait. Right, As my right. friend Ted Cunningham says, we tell people it's dirty, awful, avoid it, save it for the one you love. Right. You know, right. and he's like, <laughs> like hold on a minute. But I love the idea. It's not, it's not, you know, I forget. How do you, how did you phrase it better? You said it's, it was about. It's not just about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. Mm-hmm. So when we are like waving this banner of virginity for the sake of virginity, it's a works-based answer to a life surrender question. Mm. God is asking for our lives, our hearts, our obedience, mm. um, our, our, all of our minds, all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our strength. And we're like, well, what if I just give you some semi-good behavior? <laughs> and he's like, that's not ever going to do it. That's not, mm. it's not going to satisfy you. Mm. It's like, we think Oh, let me, you know, we, we tout this workspace, virginity, virginity, and we miss that what he's calling us to is a greater heart condition of purity. And then virginity becomes a beautiful byproduct, mm. but a pure heart, purely seeking to honor God, pure in our words, our actions, our, you know, decisions that makes virginity it's important, but it's a byproduct far more in scripture. God speaks about purity, pure vessels that he can use and move through and I, I think the church is dropped and I love the church. This is why I even wrote this book because I love the body of Christ and I want it to thrive and I want it to move in power, but we've dropped the ball a bit in fearfully not knowing how to navigate these conversations. Oftentimes I feel like not even knowing the truth about sex in our own hearts. So we shake our frustrated fists at the pulpit about the failing morality of the world around us. And we're just putting band-aids on bullet holes and not addressing the aching, bleeding needs of people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And and so therefore people are trying desperately to, to mo- modify their behavior, but they're not encountering true heart transformation. And and then when the virginity is lost or in that, you know, weak moment or with that boyfriend or with that girlfriend that we just went too far, suddenly it's like, feels like it's all a wash. Mm-hmm. Like we're hopeless. Like we went too far. Like it's too broken. Like I thought I was going to save that for my husband and I didn't. And, you know, we just feel worthless. And God has a lot to say about that. And Jesus encounters that over and over in scripture and the Bible's chocked full of God talking about sex. And so I'm confused why the church feels like it's too taboo for us to discuss mm-hmm. when it's actually God's invention and it's um, completely our place to discuss and we should speak into it with truth and love. Absolutely. You know, Mo, the thing I so respect about your approach of this and your heart of this is to say, hey, you should know even, you know, kissless Till Christmas? Is that Kissel's till next Christmas? Yes. I love that. <laughs> but even then to say, okay, and then you come into marriage and it's still complicated and, and there's still baggage. And I think that what will be what most listeners will resonate with to yeah. say, wow, I've brought that in. I don't want it to be there. I'm trying to bring Jesus into the equation. Yeah. And you say you've got to get healing there. What did you guys do and what have you do you suggest to other people mm-hmm. who say, Hey, you know what? I've been married thirty years. You know, and I still have sexual baggage uh, in my marriage. What do you say yeah. to people just starting off, and the people who've been married a long time? Is that advice the same thing, or is it different for for newlyweds? That's a great question. I feel like across the board, where it has to begin is um, humility and openness. 
giving these things life, you know, taking Mm. back sort of the bondage that they have over us by putting words around them. Mm. It takes a great deal of humility Mm. and just vulnerability to voice these struggles, to voice this baggage, especially if we're 30 years in and some of it centers around the very person we're laying next to each night, you Mm. know, and we feel like, oh, I couldn't bring this up or I can't, or I shouldn't, or, you know, am I keeping a record of wrongs if Mm. I, if I dig this up yet, I'm still wounded from what happened 15 years ago, you Mm. know, and, and in the newlywed bed, it's like, I think sometimes the enemy just shames us into silence. That's like his greatest victory. If we'll just stay silent, if we won't bring it up and we sit here like, oh, I don't want to bring up this struggle because this is supposed to be my new groom or my new bride. And I should be able to delight in this. And I shouldn't be wondering why, you know, sex is different than I thought when it felt fine when we were having sex, when we were dating, you know, and now suddenly we're in the covenant of marriage where it's actually God honoring and it's just not satisfying. That's what a lot of people face. They're in sin outside of marriage they get married and it just doesn't measure up. And they're like, wow, what have I done? Like ultimately the enemy wants us confused. Mm. He wants us silent and he wants us shamed Mm. the greatest victory. This is where the gospel becomes practical. This is where it transforms our lives and where it transforms our marriage. And it doesn't have to look any certain way or be prettied up. This is just the power of the gospel in that we have the strength and the ability to, to blast past this confusion, to, to completely break the chains of this shame, to move through this into healing at the name of Jesus. Mm. That is what can bring us to a place of humility to say, God, give me the words, give me the strength, give me a clear mind right now. I want our marriage to thrive. And so I need to humble myself right now in vulnerability and begin to open up about these things and put words around them. So 30 years in or three weeks in, I think there's beauty in coming before the one we've made a covenant with and saying, listen, I love you and I want our marriage to thrive and I just need to share some things with you and cultivating that conversation. And to the spouse who the husband or wife is coming to, we've got to have receptive humble hearts as well. Cause it's scary. Processing through sexual stuff is just scary. It's just so shame filled. Um, that's how we've carried it for so long. Um, but there's beauty in trusting, trusting in the strength and the preservation and the hope of, of Jesus to give us the words and the ability to cultivate these conversations and then opening up about them. And, and what's so beautiful is that a humble heart is what it's what leads to, to repentance, knowing that all God desires is that we bring these things up, that we we bring them to the surface, that we ask forgiveness for them, and that we turn from those ways. And so for myself and my husband, it's sort of a daily, weekly, like monthly, let's come together. Is there anything going on? And there's there anything we want to bring up that we want to share, that we want to like seek forgiveness for and just share with our spouse because this is the person we love. This is our one flesh, you know, and there's just amazing freedom that comes from it. And it's like just giving these things, just putting words to them, knocks the knees out from the the stranglehold they had around us. You know, it like looses these chains and there's a lot of freedom in, in opening up and sharing and asking forgiveness and repenting. And, you know, whether that struggles with porn, whether that is things of our past, whether that's something that happened in the past, it's just going to continue to be a wound until we treat it. Mm. And so we have to, to treat it and it's hard and sometimes it hurts and 
it's, it's holy at the end of the day because it allows that wound to be salved and then to heal. Um, but where a lot of us are walking around, even in our marriages with a bunch of festering wounds, because we just, we just stay silent or we just hold something over our spouse. That's a big one. We sure. And that's the thing we talk a lot about on the podcast. It's a lot of times people are only talking about their issue in the midst of being in that frustrated issue. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about finances when I see five bags worth of Target, or she's going to talk about finances with me when I once again went to Top Golf. You know, yeah. wait a minute, we kind of <laughs> we want to you know pull back on the old Top Golf. Or people even sexually are only going to talk about that once uh, something even which I think is even more damaging. It, they're having these conversations when sex went sideways yeah. or it was disappointing or someone got told no and they go, we're going to talk about it right now. Well, yeah. that's the worst part. And so I think the yeah. thing, what you're saying is, hey, we can have conversations so much better when we're having them outside of the tension. Yeah, because, totally. And and like you said, coming to that heart of humility, talk to the person who said that, they said, you know what? I've done that. I, I've talked to them and they don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. or they're frustrated. Would you say, do they talk to an outside person? Do they talk to a counselor? Like, what would you say to that person who said he or she refuses to talk about it? Yeah. Well, we'll just take it straight to the faith board again. The first place you can go is to talk to God about it. Mm-hmm. True intercession on behalf of our spouse is literally the most powerful thing we can bring into our marriage covenant. And those are big words and they sound churchy and it's just not. You simplify it. Literally praying for your husband or for your wife. God, tender their heart. Make it sensitive. Make it receptive. God, you know, Please continue to do a work. Are we going to God about our spouse as often as we're in those heated moments or wanting to bring something to their ear or, you know, going to our friends about it or, you know, gossiping about it or arguing or lamenting? Are we bringing our spouse's name to God Mm. as often as we're doing anything else? Because it shouldn't just be as often. It should be more. Mm day and night, through the day, bringing the person we love the most to the Father. Even if we're angry with them, even if we are feeling resentment, even if we're feeling frustration, to to bring someone's name to the throne not only intercedes for them, but it softens our heart. 100%. Can you really pray for someone and not feel a tenderness in your heart towards them or a it's compassion or understanding? Mm. So bringing um, that conversation to God first is incredibly important. But then I would say sometimes, you know, it's, it's interesting to navigate within marriage because there are some things that are sensitive and they're tender and it's a covenant. You know, that was like kind of my greatest navigation writing this book was like, how do I be really honest and open and raw, but not gratuitous. And how do I preserve our covenant and protect what's precious to us, but also share about the realities? It's kind of this balance we have Appropriate to find. Appropriate transparency kind of thing. That's a tension to manage, huh? It's a tension. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and what I was going to say was finding an accountability partner, finding a prayer partner mm-hmm. can often be really really beneficial. Someone else that's interceding for your marriage as well, you know, but also making sure you're navigating that not in a, like a, a a gossip, a gossiping way, just going to Carol every week to (laughs) lament about your husband, you know, but finding someone who you truly believe is going to help hold you accountable, who's going to intercede for the both of you, who's going to gently receive and listen when you do just need to kind of 
uh, unload mm-hmm. a bit, um, but who's also not going to be afraid to call you up, you know, and having this person, I would say for a woman, another woman, for a man, another man, having this person to carry our burdens, bear our burdens is what scripture says, really live life with us and help us. That can be really, really beneficial. And sometimes that looks like a true counselor and a couple going in together for counseling. Um, Sometimes that can be a counselor for an individual, but in, in all contexts, I think it is important again, to bring words to it, to bring life to it, but to do so carefully and in honor to the spouse you, you have, even if you feel like boiling over with them at the time, it's still important to honor them. To bring words, you said to bring words to it, to bring light to it. Yeah. Because I do know in the midst of mere just, you know, that people are confused Mm -hmm. uh, and they feel like whatever this is, especially sexually, it's so heavy and so shameful and such a monster. And what's so powerful is when you'll talk to someone, they'll reveal something that they've been holding back maybe for 20 years. Yeah. And all of a sudden they say it and the person across from them doesn't throw rocks at them, doesn't even mm-hmm. look super shocked. Yeah. And they're like, wait, you mean you still care about me? You mean you don't judge me? You mean we can, can we still be friends? You mean yeah. this isn't the deal killer? And yeah. it's so powerful to watch people go, no, it's not the deal killer. Way, way to go for bringing it up. That yes, must've been really yeah. difficult. Uh, but it's, there's some simplicity with what you're saying too, yeah, right? Because I is. think, oh, it's very confusing. It's very complex. At the same time, the simplicity is, hey, I need to talk to someone, eventually mm-hmm. my spouse, but however, to bring that into light and just go, you know what? It was hard. It was difficult, but it's not impossible, right? Exactly. It's not impossible. This is the Jesus of the Bible. This is mm. what I think we've, we miss at times by way of sexual struggles. We can look at two stories specifically where we see who Jesus truly is in light of our sexual struggles and our sin. We see the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, who's a whore by all accounts. If we just want to real talk, the woman's had five husbands. The man she's living with isn't even her husband. You know, she comes out to the well to draw water and Jesus is there and he, he steps past every taboo barrier and begins speaking to her because culturally at the time, he's a Jewish man. She's a Samaritan woman. Context helps to understand the power of what he was doing, but he just, he, he brings up kind of all of her sexual sin right before her. He says, go and get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, I know (laughs) you've had five and you're currently not living with a man you're married to. And he drums up all of this muck, all of this sin, this reputation she can't escape back in the place she's from. He drums all of this up before her. And in the face of her filth, he stays right there. And she's like, who are you? Who are you? And he's like, oh, if you knew who I was, you would, you would taste from living water. You wouldn't thirst again. And what I love about the Samaritan woman in this encounter with Jesus is he drums all of her muck up and he stays and he offers her redemption. And in response to his love, his gentleness, his kindness, and receiving this person with this shame that literally was like a yoke on their back, back and forth, seeking more from the well, you know, what are we looking for? More affirmation, something else from our spouse. They just can never seem to give us. We're back and forth, feeling good on a mountaintop, back in the valley, feeling like marriage is great, back in the pit. And Jesus encounters there and he's like, let's just work through this. And then what he does is it's the very first person in the course of Jesus's ministry that he gives permission to, to go back and evangelize, tell him who I am. Tell him I'm the son of God. Tell him I'm the Messiah. Tell him I'm the one that you can bring all this muck to 
and right by your well, I'll sit and I'll stay. And she runs back. And this woman, this whore with a reputation, runs back to her town with another man's name on her lips, if you think about it. She's running back talking about a new man. What do these people think? And uh, it says in response to, to to his love, hundreds come to believe. And they invite Jesus in. And there's such healing and such redemption for this whole town. So I see a Jesus who sits at the well and stays. And then I see a Jesus, you know, with the adulteress to be stoned, who the whole world wants to throw a stone, wants to condemn her, wants to shame her. Um, he says those without sin can cast the first stone. And we, we all know the narrative. Uh, everyone has to leave because <laughs> no one's there, you know, sinless. And, and I just imagine this adulteress, because that was actually a part of my story too, involved with a married man in college and, and not even realizing it and waking up after this drunken stupor and realizing, where am I? I was this good churched girl. I was the one who looked so good on the surface, who thought I had it all figured out. And I am an adulteress. And it it was this weight of how far have I fallen? What am I doing? And yet I see Jesus of the Bible who's, who, who stands with the adulteress and doesn't cast a stone, but says in response to my love of, for you, in response to my forgiveness that is freely here for you, go and sin no more. Look different. Process this junk, Samaritan woman. Let's work on it together. And then in response to the freedom I will give you, the love I have for you, go and sin no more. Live differently. And I'm like, this is the Jesus of the Bible in response to our sexual sin. And this is who God is. He is merciful. He loves us. And it hurts. It hurts to work up all this junk. It hurts to process through this stuff. But man, is there just holy healing that comes from it. Hmm. And and it reminds us too, sorry, I just preach a whole sermon. No, no, sorry, like, go girl, go. Oh, I get so fired up because I was this girl. I was this person hmm. with all this stuff I didn't want to have to hash back up. I didn't want to work through. And, hmm. you know, one day we have to wake up and realize the purpose of sex, a gift from God, a gift. His gifts are never meant to be burdensome and shameful and heavy and confusing. They're meant to be good. And, and, and to glorify Him, the most unifying gift we have in marriage, and actually a weapon against the enemy in marriage. Like we said, the, from the moment we say, I do, He wants nothing more than to divide us, for us to be broken, for us to be pulled apart, resentful, angry, sleeping on the couch and in the bed. He wants nothing more than these small things that eventually lead up to we're 10 years into marriage and we're like, what, am I, what have I done? I don't even know you. I don't even want to be married to you. You're not even the same person I married. You're not even the same person I met. This is great victory for the one who wants us divided. But sex is this gift, this unifying gift, this weapon to say, no, no, I made a covenant here. This is good. This is meant to be good. And and I'm coming together. I'm going to fight for this person. I love this person. There is power in sex and in healthy sexuality and marriage. And I just, it's worth it to work through the baggage because it's a gift for us. And, and we, we can't sit idly by anymore and let the enemy rob us of it or let our own past rob us of it or let our own baggage or our resentment or our anger rob us of it. We've got to lay it down and we've got to, we've got to humble ourselves and, 
and open up these conversations and ask forgiveness and extend forgiveness. Because don't we want to sit there and ask for it from our spouse, but then they bring up what they've been struggling with for a few years and we're like, wait a second, like, and suddenly claws are out. No, humbling ourselves means asking for it and extending it. And that's what's going to unify us as married couples and literally change the trajectory of our culture if we can be better unified as married couples. Mo, every time I'm around you, I'm like, I'm sitting on my seat, you know, I keep coming up and down. I'm shaking my head over here. And I wonder if she thinks, am I, you know, sending her to third? Like, what are you doing over there? Uh, But it's like, oh, yes, I love that people are are hearing this. Uh, Talk a little bit about pornography, because you mentioned earlier that was a little bit of your story. And I don't think we can have a conversation uh, about sex or what the church needs to do about that um, without talking about uh, pornography. Talk a little bit about what it does, but also... How do we protect ourselves from it? How do you mm. how do you get healing from it? How do you, you know? How do you keep it from happening? Right. Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, I think it's important to understand uh, and lean into the scripture that uh, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And so again, porn in in particular is this struggle that we are silenced by shame, thinking no one else is struggling with it the way I am. No one else is as addicted as I am, what other woman is craving seeing these same images? You know, all these things that lead up to even being able to have this conversation. It's important to understand the reality that this is an issue gripping the vast majority of people. And I say that because it helps to put into context and, and understand how pervasively this has just infiltrated our culture and poisoned it. In 2016 alone, one year, on one pornographic website, there are hundreds of thousands, one year on one website, we as a people consumed 4.6 billion hours of porn. This is 524,000 years of porn, 17,000 complete lifetimes of porn consumed in one year on one website. This is how pervasively porn has infiltrated Mm. our culture and is plaguing marriages and is plaguing men and is plaguing women and is plaguing children. The average age of exposure to porn is nine years old. This is the school bus on a mobile device. I was exposed at eight and struggled till 18 in silence. Porn is vicious. And so I get real feisty when I talk about this because I'm like, I'm just kind of fiery. And it frustrates me that 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 we're drowning in it as, as, as deeply as we are. Porn is such a universal struggle because it is so accessible right now. You can't even turn on the TV, if we're being honest, and see a yogurt commercial that's not (laughs) over-sexualized. It's like, you can't go anywhere, Mm -mm. do anything without sex right in your face. We must realize this is is the insatiable lust of the lost. This is the world that has stolen what was a gift from God, like we were talking about, and twisted it and cheapened it and exploited it and, and inundated us with it. Because again... It's harmful. It breaks us. It is easy, cheap, quick entertainment that leaves us more devoid when we close the computer Mm. than we would even probably care to admit. And the struggle with porn by and large is that it's everywhere. We're quite consumed. And yet it is deeply dehumanizing us and dehumanizing others. And we are at a point now where one in five mobile searches on all cell phones are for porn. And we are turning 
just foregoing any desire for self-control, any desire for learning discipline of how to tame our or distame our wants, you know, bounce our eyes, guard our hearts, guard our minds, guard our eyes. We are turning to these quick fixes that see other humans as body parts made for our pleasure rather than image bearing creations of God. Wow. And it gives us, it's literally like, I wish we were, oh, you know, everyone talks about like hashtag woke. I wish we would get woke to the porn industry because it releases chemicals in our brain that are the same as like when you see a puppy or when you have your favorite meal, you smell your favorite meal, or when you see the person you love, they're deeply addictive. They're these hits that we desire and that we want. And so we come back to, and so porn does this in our brain and we come back to it and 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 aren't realizing that every click on these sites, we're actually contributing to the sex trafficking industry in a massive way. We're like silent financial partners to sex trafficking. Mm. So we want to do the big end it movement. And yet we're going home and watching porn and it's like, Oh, wake up people. We're also not realizing that we're literally dehumanizing people before our eyes and that the porn industry is hooking us because they know exactly what we're susceptible to and exactly how they can keep us hooked. And so this was my issue. It gives that hit. It gives that rush. You come back to it. But eventually, you're kind of numb to what you're seeing, and you want to take it a step further. And not only are you dehumanizing the people on the screen, but you're becoming desensitized, not just to sex as a precious thing, but to sex as like even a, a normal thing, 88% of pornographic scenes depict sex in a violent manner. Mm. 4.6 billion hours on one website, 88% of those showed sex in a violent manner, and yet we kept coming back for more. We start watching worse, more perverse, more broken. We become consumed by it. I hear this all the time, married couples having to use it in the bedroom to even come together saying, this is what I need, this is what my husband wants, this is what... Even to the point that we're there are people, many who are struggling with it so deeply, they can't even become aroused by flesh and blood right in front of them, by their spouse anymore. This is what it does to the brain. It sickens and infects us and, it, and we become addicted to it. And our culture acts like this is normal, this is fine, this is good. And we see marriages falling apart because of it. Mm. And I just want to be like, even if I'm this voice crying out in the wilderness, I just want to stand up and say, hold the phone. Like, wake up, rise up, dry bones, see what how the world has so stolen ownership of your mind and your eyes and your marriage. Because I grew up in a household where my dad was out of the arms of my mommy because he was watching porn at 2 a.m. And my mom's in, in bed alone and I come down for a snack and turn the corner. And then as a child, I'm exposed to things I shouldn't have been. And I'm confused why my dad isn't in the arms of my own mother but watching these other people, it's just broken. Mm. It's just broken. And we have got to stop trying to rationalize that this is normal. This is okay in our culture. I'm not addicted. I just, you know, like it every now and then and this or that. No, it's an all or nothing. It is an all or nothing. And we have got to begin to reclaim sex for the glory of God. My, my prayer really is I was trying to, when I came to know Jesus, this was actually really cool. And then I promise I'll talk about the practical ways too. But when I came to know Christ, it wasn't that I so much immediately thought, oh my goodness, I need to run from my pornographic addiction. But my prayer in coming to know Jesus was, God, 
Break my heart for what breaks yours and bind my heart to thee. Give me eyes to see the world as you do it and give me ears to hear the cry of the hurting. Make me more like Jesus. Make me more like you. That was this simple prayer when I first came to know Christ that just was always on my mind. Give me eyes to see the world as you do. Break my heart for what breaks yours. If this becomes our prayer, you will not be able to look at porn the same. I remember a few months in when kind of the And that urge, is very practical. I'm going to you just for oh, a second. Oh, super practical. You, you got... Okay, yeah. Because I'm going to push you for practical schools. We always do. Yeah, and but I you go, well, Okay, <laughs> that is a very practical prayer. And you've yeah. also said, "How do I talk to my spouse about this?" Well, you pray for them first. And so yeah. I keep hearing from you. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. Yeah. Talk to God about it. Yes, break my heart, God, for what mm. breaks yours. Break my husband's heart, God, for what breaks yours. Give me eyes to see the world as you see it. Give my husband eyes to see the world as you see it. My wife, give her eyes. Like These intercessions, these very practical, make me more like you. I remember the urge came over me a few months after coming to know Christ, and I opened my computer, and I you know, just sort of mindlessly flipped to these websites that I was so used to. And it was like the moment I then saw a girl on the screen, it felt like that feeling when I first saw porn for the very first time, that searing feeling as a child of like nausea of like the, the tingles from head to toe of knowing it's just wrong and off. And I saw this image and I almost threw up and I, it clicked with me. Oh, my prayer had been God break my heart for what breaks yours. And my heart is broken. This is your daughter. This is someone's child. This is possibly someone's mother. This is an image bearing creation of God. And I, I couldn't see it the same. I, I immediately saw the exploitation of it. I immediately saw the brokenness of it. And I slammed that computer shut so hard and so fast and just wept. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this has never been my response before. But my prayer had been, break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me eyes to see the world as you do. And if you are courageous enough to pray that, your whole life will change because he'll do it. He'll answer it. And it was just, it was startling. And I have, have never, God will remove the desire from your heart for pornography. He will remove it if you ask him to earnestly, earnestly. And there are super practical ways too, because I think a big thing that allows these open doors, that, that allows it, that sets it before our eyes is we're like, I really don't want to view porn. I really don't want to be urged by these things. And yet we can get on Twitter and hit the wrong hashtag. And suddenly it's like every, it's just infiltrated everything. So there are really practical measures. There are like software, like covenant eyes that will literally guard your devices um, for keywords, for images, for, you know, backend stuff that might be pornographic. It will not allow you to access these sites. This is really important for our children, but also just for ourselves many times. Um, we also have to begin to practice some discipline and discernment in what we set before our eyes when it just even comes to TV shows, when it comes to what we're watching, when it comes to what we're entertained by. If we're, it's all just kind of like gateways to the next thing, to the next thing. So if we're entertained by these sexually perverse television shows, it's just a gateway to be entertained by even more sexually perverse stuff. You know, it's like, what are we watching? What are we setting before our eyes? What is the music we're listening to talking about? It's again, it goes back to not just this behavior modification of like, don't look at porn. It's heart transformation. What are you sensitive to? What does God's heart beat for? And is your heart beating for the same? You know, what is God sensitive to? What, what is the heart of the father desire for us? And 
What are we then sensitive to? So for me, it was this active, proactive prayer that really transformed my outlook on kind of everything. Mm. And then you realize how very broken porn is and it, it, tra- it God will transform your heart. He'll mm. change it and he'll change our spouse's hearts. And that means, but we got to get on our face and intercede. Mm. Got to pray. Got to pray. Pray yeah. for them. Mo, thank you so much. It's This is so powerful. And of course, we want everybody to read your book and they can find this where you just go through beautiful detail of this and make it really applicable. But for the people that are listening right now who, you know, maybe somebody's going for a run or, you know, on the way to work and boy, this is, this is touched some things in their heart. You know, when you talked about, you know, the experience of waking up going, God, have I fallen so far? I think, wow, it would be interesting to know the percentages of people say, mm, I've got that story. I've yeah. got my version of that. I've got my version of something that hurts that bad. Yeah. Uh, but what would you say with, with all of this, what was the one thing that somebody listening could go and do? Yeah. I always, um, it sort of full circles us right back to the start of the conversation where I always believe that True change, true transformation, true revival of our marriages begins in our own hearts. Mm. You know, the church hasn't been having these conversations because I think in many ways the church is, the body of Christ is wounded as well, Mm. wrestling with our own stuff in the darkness. So the verse that always comes to my mind that I think is applicable and what all of us can begin to pray is create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. The scripture that says, search my heart and know me. God desires that we be healed, that we be whole. That's how we can move in power. That's how we can see restoration. But it's hard and holy heart work, but it has to begin in us. So I would just sort of champion anyone listening um, as you move out into this. It can seem like a lot. Okay, so how do I work on my marriage? How do I talk to my children about this stuff? How do I, how do I, how do I? And we see, you know, all the arms it could go. Let it just come right back to the root. Where does it start? We're going to be able to champion our marriage best. We're going to be able to teach our children best. We're going to be able to cultivate these conversations in church and amongst our friends best when we are speaking into them from a healed and whole heart. So begin there. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Let him drum up these things. Don't push them back down. Wrestle through them. Hand them over. Ask forgiveness. Repent. And um, I think we'll see we'll see marriages transform because we've transformed. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of, of healing begins. Mm. Well, thank you for being so brave to have these conversations. I know it'd been way easier for you to write a book on being the grandmaster kicker at LSU and all those different things. <laughs> if I'd made the team. <laughs> you would have. Had you you would have. I, but I think it um, been so easy to hide behind all the things. It would have been it's so easy to spin who you guys are as a couple. It's great and perfect. You could have really done that, but you are modeling for all of us who care about our own marriages, but also for other people yeah. to say, we got to let people into our pain. We got to be transparent to a healthy degree, but mm-hmm. to say, hey, together, we can bring all this out of the darkness. So Mo, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Married People Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Mo and her new book, you can visit her website, moisom.com. That's M-O-I-S-O-M.com. You can also visit our show notes for this episode at marriedpeople.org for links as well. Until next time, thanks for listening.